Just the other day, I was in uh, the Al-Aqsa Hospital in Dirobalah, where what I saw was a health system that is not collapsing, but has collapsed. The health workers are doing absolutely heroic work around the clock every single day. But the number of people who are in these health facilities is absolutely overwhelming. And you see traumas continuing to come in because the bombing and the airstrikes continue. Uh, and at the same time, they're having to do surgeries on patients and then almost turn them out the door as soon as the surgeries are done because they don't have any space. So the hospitals are overloaded, they're overcrowded, but the health workers are doing such a phenomenal job. Is there any active fighting around hospitals? right now in the north or in the in the south, if you can fill us in here. Yes, there is active fighting right now around some of the health facilities in Gaza. So in the north, uh, we just received a call this morning from the director of the Kamal Adwan Hospital. It's a hospital that is now surrounded uh, by Israeli forces and is in an active conflict zone. And we do have major concerns for the patients who are there. So we have situations like that at Kamal Adwan, which are incredibly urgent because there are both displaced people inside the hospital and also patients, including critically ill patients and newborn babies who are inside that hospital and who need to get out and come to safety. And then we also have deep concern about the situation in Khan Yunus, where absolutely critical health facilities, the EU Gaza hospital, uh, the NASA hospital, are uh, increasingly close to the front lines. And if, that, if those two hospitals do come under attack or are impacted by the conflict, it will make, be a major blow to the health uh, capacity in Gaza. Could you please also tell us about what you hear from our colleagues on the ground? How are they coping with the pressure that is stemming from the growing needs of the people in Gaza? So what we're hearing from the colleagues on the ground is despair. Because as you know, the United Nations in Gaza, the backbone of the United Nations in Gaza is our UNRWA colleagues, uh, 15,000 of them almost, most of whom have themselves been displaced. Uh, I worked here from 2009 to 2011. And since I've come back, I've seen many of my former colleagues who are living in terrible conditions. Uh, many of the UNRWA staff are themselves displaced and seeking shelter in schools. And yet, those colleagues, so many of them, are waking up every single day and still responding to this crisis. And for me, that is an act of honest heroism because they are dealing with their own family challenges, having to find water, having to find food, having to find a place to sleep for the night or the week. And yet they're continuing to deliver for their communities. And as a United Nations staff member, honestly, I could not be prouder. This is the best of the United Nations. Women and children account for over 70 percent of the casualties in Gaza. That's uh, according to the health authorities in, in the Strip. Could you uh, shed some light? on the situation of women and children that you've been interacting with. Let me start with women. Imagine being a woman who has many small children. I myself have two children, so I think about this every day. Most of the people here have now been displaced three or four times. So they've had to move their families three or four times. Most of the people here have no access to food. And women, as we know here, as in many other places around the world, are the last to eat because they care for their families first. Imagine being a woman who has no access to sanitary items to deal with her period, uh, which of course comes every single month. And we're now two months into this conflict and the lack of dignity that comes with not being able to 
care for your own menstrual hygiene. Imagine being a woman who has no access to a shower. Imagine being a woman who is now sleeping under a tent that is made of makeshift wood, whatever plastic can be found and probably nothing to sleep on. And imagine being a woman who had no winter clothes with the temperature dropping. That's what it is to be a woman today in Gaza. And we have to ensure that the world sees these women as exactly what they are, just like me, a woman who has children, who is working, uh, but who is now faced with the scourge of war. For children here, I have never seen anything like it. We need to collectively comprehend the consequences of this war, not just for children today, but for children well into the future. Children in Gaza today are traumatized. And when I say traumatized, I mean to the average person out there listening, think of the worst thing you have experienced in your life and multiply it a million times. And then imagine how you would cope with that as a four-year-old or a five-year-old child. And then imagine that these children have been through many of them multiple wars. A 16-year-old child in Gaza would have been through four wars. So the trauma is absolutely astonishing. It is shocking. And children at the same time are hungry. They're not going to school. They have no access to food. They have no access to health care. Many of them are now faced with preventable diseases that are threatening their lives. The life of a child today in Gaza is completely unacceptable. And none of us would accept that for our children. You said that th th there is no assistance that will stop the war in, in Gaza and that the war needs to stop. Could you elaborate on that, please? Absolutely. I mean, we are trying every day to do what we can, the United Nations, the international NGO community, everybody, to deliver assistance to people in Gaza. But the war is something we cannot keep up with. Um, the city of Rafa was home to a, just over 200,000 people before this began. It has had hundreds of thousands of people arrive since I have been here. There is one informal site that has grown from a couple of hundred people to tens of thousands of people. And we cannot keep up with that. So the war has to end. That's the first point. That's the first thing, because the first ask of any person in Gaza that I see is safety. It's safety. It's knowing that you can make it through tonight. It's knowing that you don't have to worry about you or your family member dying tonight. And I don't think any of us can comprehend how horrifying that prospect is, going to sleep every single day wondering if you'll wake up tomorrow. So the first thing is the war has to end. And the second thing is that whilst this war is still raging, we have to be given the access and the ability to deliver assistance at scale because right now we know what we are doing is so far from enough. Uh, thank you, Gemma. Do you have any final thoughts? Maki, what I would say is I have spoken to a lot of humanitarians who are here in Gaza and none of us have ever seen anything like this. And so to the world, I'm sure that this looks like another war. But to us, and many of us have worked in multiple wars, this is not like any other war. It is completely different. It is on a scale that is so horrifying to witness. And the people who are bearing the brunt of it are the civilians of Gaza. And at the same time, the operation that we're able to mount, the aid operation, is so profoundly inadequate because we can't get the right trucks in, we can't get them in the right order, we can't get enough. And then 
we're trying to move through active conflict zones, we have aid workers who have literally risked their lives in order to respond to this war. And it has to stop.